Well, various reactions come up when we talk about authority. And so if you have ever been the one who is in charge and you've had difficult people to work with, um, difficult people to lead, uh, that can leave a real bad taste in your mouth. And so authority may have a bad um, thing in your mind. If you've ever had to work for a really harsh boss and real toxic work environment, that could be really difficult. Uh, my sophomore year in college, I was a resident assistant in the men's dorms, uh, men's dormitory at the college, and got my own private room, which was, uh, you know, got my own free private room, I should add that. So some benefits. I like that, free, you know, and so free private room, that, that, that's a good thing. Although, with that comes 30 guys who live on the wing with you. A bunch of them were previously my friends, um, but now I was in charge, and, and so there was a rocky experience that I had with, with a few. Uh, some of the guys, um, you know, would, would come keep me up wanting to talk about things going on in their life, whether it be dating or decisions, and it'd be late night discussions, you know. One guy, he was angry at me because I wrote him up for something he had done. And um, he, he came and he banged on my door at 2 in the morning. And, and I opened the door and I'm like, I'm half asleep. And he gets in my face and he just starts cussing me out. And I'm like, Ugh. you know, I just, you know, another guy, he apparently confused my door with the urinal because um, he, he was angry at me for writing him up. And so another guy. He filled up a trash can full of water from the bathroom, leaned it against my door, so that in the morning, uh, some people are laughing because you've probably done this, and uh, he's waiting for me to open the door in the morning to flood my room, but thankfully, someone saw it and rescued my belongings, and so it never happened, but I heard about it after the fact. But the, the whole idea of sticking it to the man took on a whole new meaning at that point because I was the man, and now all of a sudden, it wasn't that enjoyable to be the man in that setting. Uh, there were some good things, but you know, we all have different memories relating to authority. Here's a few reactions of others as they view authority. From the Rolling Stones, Keith Richards, he said, if you're going to kick authority in the teeth, you might as well use both feet. Um, Albert Einstein said, to punish me for my contempt for authority, fate, he said, fate made me an authority myself. So he saw that as fate paying him back. And... Or Dennis Leary, the comedian, he said, I obviously identify with the anti-authority figure. I'm pretty much always had problems with authority ever since I was a kid. Now, I'm not going to say show your hands if that's you, but um, when we arrive on the scene, I think we struggle with authority from the, from the start. We arrive here and we all of a sudden think we're the boss, right? We show up and, and we're demanding food, we're demanding attention, we're demanding clean diapers, we're demanding... Uh, clean clothes, well, maybe not clean clothes. Most kids can go without that for months, you know, but uh, if it weren't for their parents, you know. But we're demanding, and, you know, I want to show you a video clip about, about this and, you know, how stubborn we can be as kids and how we can just challenge authority and really push up against it and how if it doesn't stop, it just carries on into adulthood. So let, let's watch this clip together. Yeah, it's interesting. So we're going <laughs> we're to watch this clip together. Oh, come on. Put that down. It's getting cold. What is this? It sounds very sick. I hate it. You do not hate it. You had it last week and you loved it. 
No, I didn't. Hate the brown stuff. It's gross. All that is onions and gravy. I'm allergic to onions. You are not allergic to onions. You had this last week. And remember, I told you it was my favorite when I was a little boy, and you said it's my favorite, too. I did not. You did. Here, it's regular hamburger. Just give a little bite. It's delicious. What's the matter? Think I'm gonna throw up. No, you're not. No, you're gonna eat it. Yucky. It is not yucky, Billy. Eat it. You remember to bring the chocolate chip ice cream home? Yes, I did remember to bring the chocolate chip ice cream home. And you're not gonna have any of it until you eat all your dinner and then eat your meat and your corn. Where are you going? You get back here right now. Did you hear me? You better not do that. You'd better stop right there, fella. I'm warning you. Hey! Did you hear me? Now, you listen to me. Don't be smart now. You go right back and put that back until you finish your dinner. Right, I'm warning you. You take one bite out of that, you're in big trouble. Don't, hey, don't you dare. Don't you dare do that. Did you hear me? Hey, stop. Hold it right there. You put that ice cream in your mouth, and you are in very, very, very big trouble. Don't you dare go anywhere beyond that. Put it down right now. I am not going to say it again. I am not going to say it again. I can't. Ow! Don't you kick me. Wow. I don't know what happened. I'll have to tune in. That's the young Dustin Hoffman right there, and uh, probably recognize his voice, but have you ever been there before? Whether your kids or maybe just memories of your own childhood and challenging authority. You know, despite all of our reactions or even our own um, personal experiences, whenever you dig into the Bible, you find out that, that our own perspective of authority is directly linked to our future, to the life that we'll have. In fact, your, your view of authority... It does that. It, it impacts your future. That's at the top of your listening guide. Your, your perspective, your, your thinking on this area of, of, of leadership and relating to leadership, that's going to have a long-term impact. If you see authority as just a force that's kind of blocking your goals and standing in your way and keeping you from um, freedom, um, or if you think following authority is sort, sort of an optional thing, uh, this will impact the way you live your life. This will impact the types of decisions that you make. And then if you think that being the one in the authority, if you're finally, you know, you have that chance and now you get to tell everybody what they get to do and, and you get all your goals accomplished and you think that's what a, being an authority is all about, again, this type of perspective really impacts your future. Um, before we really move forward, um, before we even read what the Scripture has to say about this, I want you to take 30 seconds and at the top of your listening guide or on the back, I want you to write down what is your basic view of authority. What is your thoughts, your perspective, your, your opinion on authority? Take 30 seconds, write everything that comes to your mind, and go. So, you know, hopefully you've 
jotted down a few thoughts. What this does, just as you kind of think through, what, what, what do I think really about? If I'm honest with myself about authority, it really helps to, to see our own view and to see, as we're looking through this, does my view either align with God's ways or does this conflict with his thinking on this? Here, here at OCC, we really want God's viewpoint on life and on issues to really trump our own thinking. But it helps to know where we're starting from so that we can begin to see if this is an area that God wants us to tweak. Um, but here's where we're headed. Adopting God's view of authority, it really does ensure the best future. Some of the songs we had sung declared that. Some of the things that Cody and Scott had said, they declared that. This is something we believe is true. Adopting God's viewpoint on authority really ensures the best future. So let's dig in to see what the Bible says about this. It really builds a case throughout Scripture. One place is 1 Chronicles 29, verses 11 and 12. Um, this picks up at the end of David's life, King David's life. He's known as Israel's greatest king. He was a successful military conqueror. He also had a real genuine heart for God. Um, he wasn't a perfect man, made some royal blunders that were very much in the, in, uh, uh, that brought some real consequences. But this is at the end of his life. Um, God had restored him, and he's at a point in time where, at the end of his life, he had asked people to give of their resources, and he, as the leader, went first. He gave resources, all the other leaders gave resources, and then all the people of Israel gave resources to build their first temple, the first temple in Jerusalem. And Solomon, his son, David's son, would be the one to build it, so David wouldn't actually um, carry out the construction of it. But he gave of his own resources, his heart was in this project, the plans were in his mind. Um, and he had all of that in mind, but I want you to look at what David. Now David, he's the greatest king. Okay, He's the top dog in the land with all the resources at his disposal. And look at what he prays. First Chronicles 29, 11 and 12. He prays this prayer. This is part of his prayer. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. He's just praising God for who he is. Then he says, for everything in heaven, everything on earth is yours. Now, he's saying a song about this. Yours, O Lord, he says, is the kingdom. You know, he's saying, this is all for you. It all belongs to you. All things that we see, all the things that we don't see, everything is yours. Everything is under your rule. Then he says, you are exalted over all. There, meaning there's no one higher than God. God stands above all kingdoms, all kings. Then he says in verse, in verse 12, it reads, wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. You're the one with dominion. You're the one who's in charge of all things. In your hands are strength and the power to exalt. So what he's saying about God right there is that God you you exalt, you 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 elect, you appoint, you hire, you fire. Scripture says he raises, he brings one up, he raises one up, he brings another down. God's in charge of this process. And then the last statement he makes is and you give strength to all. So everything that every leader does or everything that any of us do, he's the one that has really strengthened us. He's equipped us. He's skilled us. He's gifted us in a certain way to do all that. It all comes and flows through him. In this prayer, David is acknowledging that God is the ruler of all things. God is ruler over all things. So this is really where authority starts. Trying to get a grip on authority and our thinking has to involve that God is the ruler over all things. He is, he is at the top. He's exalted over all. Now, this statement, though, when you read it, God is ruler over all things, it seems kind of cliche. And it, we can just gloss over it as it being so apparent or just not relevant at all to our life. And so, um, but if this is true, as it claims, what could this mean for us? 
It could mean that if God is ruler of all things, then we can really trust him. He can help us with everything that we face in life. You know, as a father, for me as a father, as a husband, as a pastor, he can help me with challenges, with problems. He can help you with challenges you face. With all the roles that you have in life, he can he is there to to empower you, to strengthen you. Maybe each problem that we face in life will not get solved immediately or in the way that we want it, but God, he actually knows what's going on in our lives. He knows how it's all going to turn out. His purposes, his plans will prevail. Nothing at all slips past his view. He is ruler. He's in charge. And I want to flesh out what this means even further. Second, under that is God has put things in order. In creation, you see God in his handiwork, putting things in order, fashioning the stars and the heavens, um, just creating a, a, you know, a, a place that we could live on. You know, he, there's order. There's order to God's creation. And, and the fact that we're even able to live in, on this planet, as scientists study this place, it's like, you know, the perfect conditions. God created an orderly place for us to live. If, if the earth was closer to the sun, we'd burn up. And, you know, further away, we what, what, what would we do? We'd freeze. Thank you. You know, there's just there's order in his creation. But as you look through Scripture, you see this coming over and over. Paul makes this statement about the church. He says, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace. This the context of this passage isn't about creation. It's about how a church service should flow. But it also shows God's desire for peace that comes when things are put in order. In the church that Paul was addressing, there was some chaos. There was some disorder going on. And there was just people uh, doing what they wanted to do without much order. And so Paul had to set things in order because God is a God of disorder. Whenever disorder and confusion and chaos are there, it actually can derail progress in, in our own personal life. It can derail progress in an organization very, very quickly in a business. You think about when there's disorder in a business or, um, you know, chaos in a business. Man, it's just, it's really difficult to reach any kind of goals in that type of setting. So since order is needed, then this is what God does. God then chooses leaders. He appoints leaders. God, you know, appointing leaders actually, this can bring great comfort to us. Now, we all can admit there's times when we doubt the authority figures over us, the leaders in our life. Whenever we start to doubt the leaders who are setting direction and we think, man, I'm not sure about that, it can create all sorts of anxiety in our hearts or just, you know, can, we can lose sleep over. But look at Romans 13.1 is a verse that brings great comfort to me related to this area of authority. Paul writes to the church in Rome, he says, everyone must submit himself to the governing Authorities. That word submit, it means to be obedient or to be brought under control. This is actually an imperative. It's a command that really it's something that this verb submit actually has to do with. This is kind of forced upon us. There's some places where the word submit means we choose to submit ourselves. Like we, we bring ourselves under submission. This is actually it's something that God does. It's a divine thing. One author called it a divine passive statement. Like, it's just going to happen because God is in charge of authority structure. And so he's placed us in organizations. He's placed us in, um, even in, you know, in this country. And this is written really about civil order. So everyone must submit himself to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except that which God has established. Now, this can bring great comfort when we're afraid the authorities that ex- ex- exist have been established by God. Now this, we could stop here and maybe say, okay, I'm just going to memorize that last statement. 
The authority that exists have been established by God. The authorities that exist have been established by God. doesn't feel like it, but the authorities that exist have been established by God. I don't, I don't agree. The authorities that, I mean, we could just stop there because of how much struggle we experience when it comes to leadership and authority. But have you ever been in an environment where order and leadership wasn't present? Have you ever been in a setting where there was just chaos? Maybe you were at school or maybe you were at a store or at the mall and a fight broke out. Or worse off, a riot starts to break out. Um, and, and in that situation, everyone is on edge because no one is interceding. I know I've been in the situations where there's no one, there's no one stepping in. There's no leader around. There's no um, cop around to, to get things in order. And in those cases, man, we need leadership. We need someone to take care of the disorder to, to really bring things back together in order. No matter your view of authority, it makes more sense in the context of disorder than any other time. You know, when there's chaos, it makes sense that oh, leadership, we could use some leadership right about now. That's not right. That shouldn't be happening. This isn't helpful. This is unproductive. He's getting hurt. She's getting hurt. I'm getting hurt. We need someone to bring some order to the situation. Well, this passage, it shows that God puts our leaders and our authorities over us. It's not that they've snuck into leadership while God was not looking and he was sleeping. But no, it says he appointed them to be there. This doesn't remove anxiety, but it helps us with some of our anxiety related to this. It doesn't mean also that we just shut off our brain and we follow leadership blindly and we just drink the Kool-Aid. Okay, yes, uh, whatever you say, I'll do. No, we actually engage our minds. We, 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 we relate to God. We get a grip on what God has to say. But we follow leadership. Now, we can't follow leadership if they're asking us to act in a way that dishonors God. But we can trust that the people and the organizations that have some authority over us, have been put there by God. That's what these verses are saying. And not only has he put authority there, but then God works his purposes through earthly authority to accomplish some things. That's what that last statement there is. And you see this in Colossians 1, 16 and 17. Paul says this, For by him all things were created, things in heaven, things on earth, visible, and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. And it's for his purposes. God has created, really, structure. He's before all things, in him all things hold together. So he actually keeps the systems together that he's established. Again, that's great comfort. One way to think about that, an analogy that kind of helps us understand this Colossians passage is, the traffic light system. There's actually a system that we're all, um, you know, we don't often think about, but we're used to operating within the system. We don't like being told to stop or slow down, do we? But for a group of cars to get somewhere, um, it really requires that a system be in place for this to happen. This is a picture of San Francisco. We were there um, a couple weeks ago, and these are San Francisco traffic lights. It's all green, you know. Isn't it nice when it's all green ahead? And you're like, wow. And in San Francisco... Sometimes if you hit the green lights, you might actually hit a bunch of green lights and you can kind of work it to where you may have heard that before. But we don't always get the green light, right? It's frustrating when you're so close, but you don't get the green light. But the lights help us all get to our destination safely. So with authority, it's recognizing that God is, you know, he's the one who's controlling. It's like he's the traffic controller. He uses authority really to regulate on a street level 
But he always knows the status of what's going on. He always knows that he always knows what's going on in our life. And he can be trusted. He's the traffic controller who can be trusted. When it comes to authority, he's very much involved in the system. It's a very relational thing. Now, this might be a brand new idea for, for us to see that God has a place in the chain of authority. You mean God is involved in my relationship to my boss and my, my relationships at home, the authority structure at home or within the government? This might be a brand new idea. But in reality, our leaders actually stand between us and God. They stand between us and God. This is the relational side of authority. If I want to be right with him, this is important. If I want to be right with him, then I need to stay right with them. Our, our leaders, they stand between us and God. Look at this just kind of picture. God works through the authority figures in our life to carry out his plans, to carry out his purposes. Now, a lot of times we just want to subvert the authority figure, go around them, and just relate only to God. And just kind of draw a big arrow to God, and I'll relate to him, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ignore this person. I'm going to ignore the leader. I'm going to pray that they go down. I'm going to plot that they go down. I'm going to put holes in their way so that they fall down. I'm going to... Or I'm just going to flat out just not do what they say. I'm not going to make it a joy for them. to. I'm just going to be a pain in their side. But our leaders, they stand between us and God. Look at this next image here. kind of shows some of the different areas of authority that we experience. It really crosses all of life. We experience God's authority structure. In the family, in the home, God has, God has established some authority. The father, he's, he's, he's the, the, the head of the home. The father and mother work together to parent the kids. They have leadership over the kids. Now, in the situation where the, where the dad is like, I'm warning you. I'm war-. If you do that again, I, it, it, one more time. Well, how many times did he say that? <laughs> dozens and dozens of threats. This flipped back upside down. The, the kid was running the show there. Now, I haven't seen the movie, but we've all experienced situations like this where, where we see a authority structure, we experience authority structure, and it's flipped upside down. Um, in the government, we, we experience authority structure in the church and in the business realm, even in the school realm. But God is over all of these different areas, and he uses delegated authority who lead us in each area. He leads us directly, God does, but then he also works through our leaders. And if we don't handle this area rightly, it can cause a rift between us and God. In fact, if you're experiencing some distance between you and God, one of the places you might want to check is your relationship to your leaders. So if if you feel like, man, I'm just stuck. I feel like I'm distant from me and God. Begin to pray, pray through this area. Think through this area of, how am, I, how am I relating to my leaders, the people that, that lead me, my supervisor, my manager, my direct report, you know, the person that I've got to report to? Um, what about as I relate to the government? What about as I relate to church leaders? And, you know, think through these areas. Consider this. Now, King David, before he was king, and we read the prayer he prayed. Before he was king, he understood this spiritual chain of authority, and, and he respected the chain of authority. At one point, he had the opportunity to kill the reigning king, the guy's name was King Saul. And David was, um, at one point, um, one of Saul's you know, military leaders. And he was, David, this guy serving the king, was victorious on the battlefield and getting all sorts of praise and attention. People were really just giving lots of praise to David. And Saul got jealous, eventually wanted to kill David because he was a threat to his throne. 
And so David is on the run from the king. And the king is chasing after David and his small band of men. So David's got this small band of men. And the king saw, and 3,000 people from his army are after David, trying to hunt him down to kill him. And David and his men, they, they find this cave. They're on the run. They find this cave they can hide in. They're hiding in this cave because they see the king approaching. And they're like, we're just going to wait this out while the king passes through undetected. You know, we'll, we'll be undetected. Well, the king decides he's got to use the bathroom. And where should he decide to go to the bathroom but the cave that David is in? So the, the king comes in there to use the, the, the bathroom. And while he's indisposed, David is close enough to King Saul to be able to just run him through, to kill him. And to subvert him, you know, and just take the throne and, and take out the king. And his men are saying, there he is. This is your chance. You can take out the leader. He's, God's given him into your hands. And so David, he, he cuts off a small part of the king's robe as evidence later that he could show that he had the opportunity to kill him. He was that close to be able to kill him. But David understood this whole idea that God really had appointed King Saul and that King Saul stood between him and God. And that to attack his leader would not be the right thing to do. And so look at some things we learned. One, David acknowledged that Saul's authority had been given by God. He understood that all authority has been established by God, Romans 13.1. Now that was written years later, but he understood the principle that God has placed authority Look at, what, look at what David says to his men when they're saying, hey, kill him. David says to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed. He's talking about Saul. To put my hand against him, seeing that he is the Lord's anointed. This word, the Lord's anointed, anointed, it means, in Hebrew, the word Mashiach, it means, we, we hear it, Messiah. That's where we get the word Messiah. But it has to do with the consecrated one who... Oil has been poured over them. They've been consecrated and set apart as the leader. The implication is this. This is the one who God has chosen, and this is the one who God has approved of. So David's response was tied not to Saul's fair treatment of him, but David's response was tied to David's relationship to the God who ruled over all things. This is why he didn't harm him. Because David was trying to relate rightly to the God who ruled all things, even the affairs and the leadership of a small kingdom of Israel. David trusted the Lord. Second, David, when he passed up the opportunity to attack his leader, David set an example of how to follow well. And this is extremely helpful for us. Look at the next verse. So David persuaded his men with these words, and he did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up, and he left the cave and went on his way. By doing this, he set a powerful example for the memories of these men, for David's small band of of men who later on would be following him one day as king because David would be the next king. But he set an example that really, if he had went the other direction, that would have impacted the security of his own throne. He would have been setting the wrong example and setting up his own, you know, basically assassination in the future when someone else does the same thing that they saw him do. Our, our view of authority impacts our future. It's certainly true in David's life. His men were able to see someone who did things God's way even when it didn't make sense to do it. Now, finally, this last thing, David trusted God to do what is right, even when the authority over him was wrong. You know, David caught up with Saul. Saul really had turned the wrong direction and, and turned, you know, God would eventually remove him. 
But David trusted God with the timing of his removal. He didn't need to be the one to, to stab him and to take him out. Because this was still God's anointed. This was still the leader that God had appointed to be there. And look at what verse 12 says. When David catches up to Saul, he shows him the fabric. And he says, look, I cut a piece of your robe. I basically showing him, I could have killed you. But he says, may the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. He recognized you're still the leader. He put, David put his hands, you know, basically, he put his case in God's hands. He just trusted God. He left it there. He waited on God to take care of him and to secure his future. And really, that's the question for us. Will we trust God? Will we trust God when we find ourselves in similar situations? When we're dealing with a leader who's difficult to work with, who's harsh? Maybe when we feel like we're being mistreated. Maybe when we're feeling like we're being overlooked. Will we trust God? Whether you're a parent and you are the leader, or you're following your parents and they're the leader. Will you trust God? Or if you're a boss, or if you're following a boss, and you're somewhere in the organization, will you trust God to be working through the leadership there to protect you, to provide, to maybe even work some things in you? Oftentimes, some of the greatest lessons I feel like that I've experienced and that I've heard many people share is when they've been in difficult work situations to learn to trust God there, to just learn to, um, to wait on God, to shape things in us in a difficult work environment, in a difficult home environment. There's some real... Um, you're in those points, you really, you're like, God, I got, I got nothing here. I need you to help me. I need you in my daily perspective. I need you to help me with my outlook for going to work today, to being in the situation today. It's so difficult. So wherever you find yourself, we just can't get around the need to submit to God's plan to use authority in the world that we live in. In closing, I, just, I want to invite you to come back over the next two weeks as we talk more about what this looks like. Next week, we're going to be looking specifically at what the Bible says to the leaders. So if you have any responsibility uh, as the leader, supervisory roles, manage, management roles, um, whether it's at home, in church, uh, civil government, in the classroom, on, on the job, what does God expect for you, from you as, as the leader? And then the following week, we're going to wrap up with looking at following authority and some of the challenges and some of the um, instructions from Scripture on that. And so um, as we look at these things, it's going to be helpful. I'm sure it'll be challenging because this is a really difficult area. Um, but would you pull out that connection card as we wrap up, as the worship team comes back up onto the stage, also as the ushers prepare to receive our, our morning tithes and offering. And on the back of the connection card, take a look at these three next steps. These are just some ways that help you get the most out of uh, what God may be saying to you this morning. There might be something else that you just recognize you need to do, but here's three next steps you could consider taking. One would be to memorize Colossians 1, 16 and 17. The next one is ask God for help to adopt His view of authority. And then the last one is to attend the rest of this series and invite someone to attend with you. Invite a friend. Um, let's pray as we continue. Lord God, we're grateful that you've given us your word and you've given us um, a perspective and a way of living outside of ourselves, outside of our own way of doing life and our own thinking so that we can get guidance, Lord, to know what is best. Lord, thank you for the way you've been working in our lives. For those of you, for those of us here that, that you really know you personally and have received your son, Jesus, Lord, we thank you so much for the way you've given us the opportunity to relate to you, to connect with you, to 
experience a new life now and on into eternity. Lord, as we just look at the life now, there's so much that you have to say about living the life now. There's so much instruction in the Bible that is so specific, God, to the, to the things that we're going to face this week and this month. And so, Lord, thank you for giving us um, guidance in this, in this area. I pray for strength for each one of us. I pray that you'd encourage us, Lord. Some here may be just totally uh, feeling beaten down in this area or defeated. Lord, would you just renew our um, courage? Give us also just a resolve to obey you in this area, Lord. Ultimately, Lord, help us to trust you as we follow the leaders that you've placed over us, God. We ask you for the help in that. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.